Thanks, Eric. All right, so I would rather stand down here on the floor, but if I do that, I don't know if you can see me. So this is what I look like up. And is there enough light if I come down? Is that all right? Is it good? Can we do it like this? Okay. So welcome to Church of the Holy Spirit downtown, the Labor Day weekend edition. We knew it was going to be tiny, and y'all didn't disappoint. But thank you so much for coming out. We know it would have been a lot easier on this Sunday night of all Sunday nights just to, like, hang out and do something fun at home and be outside. But thanks for coming to be with us. We, we decided that if we held it, we were going to do something a little bit weird, a little bit different. And uh, so we're going to do that. And so rather than our, our normal time that we just kind of spend in the scriptures and a sermon that's more formal, I wanted to just tell you a little bit of my story and invite you guys to tell your stories. But before I do, let me set this up, okay? I want you guys to think about this. Jesus might come back tomorrow, right? This, this could be the case. Um, but the odds on that are relatively long right? If we were to convert that to like he could come back in a week or a month or a year, the longer out we go, the better the odds get, okay? So tell me this, what's the point at which you would say, is it in a hundred years you feel like the odds are more likely that he comes back than he doesn't, or is it a thousand years or 10,000 years? At what point would you say, I'm pretty sure Jesus will come back by, what is it? What's your, what's your opening bid? He thinks he's coming back in a million years before that, does that feel pretty good to you guys? Right. Okay. So what is it? Is it is it a hundred years? Is it a thousand years? Is it ten thousand years? Two hundred or less. Anybody want? What else do you guys think? One hundred and seventy-six. Is this Price is Right? You can't overbid or something? Yeah. Okay. One ninety-nine. What do you think, Mary Beth? When's he coming back? What five hundred? Okay. So let, we'll, we'll we'll go with Mary Beth. All right. Just pick this. Okay. Imagine it's then he's come back and Jesus has come back to the earth and he's raised you from the dead and there has been an examination of your life and miracle of miracles, grace upon grace, you survive the examination, right? And you are granted eternal life. You're going to live forever in a world of endless and increasing joy because that examination of your life, as it turns out, is, a ra- is an act of radical grace whereby Jesus' life is substituted for yours. And you get credit for all of his splendor, and he takes the blame for all that you have done. And now, because of him, you, are, you get to enter into joy that will last forever and ever and ever. Okay, that's your scene, right? Endless happiness in, in a body that will never die, in a world of perfection, and now it's yours, and it's never going to stop being yours. Okay? So that's where you are. You there with me? Okay. Now... In that moment, Steve, when you're there in that place where like endless joy, as Isaiah says, that sorrow and sighing have fled away. If you were to look back to back, back when you lived in Roanoke, back to these days here, these, these moments, if you were to look back to this time, what do you think you would say is the most important thing that ever happened in your 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that you got? Actually, what, what do you think you would say is the most important thing that's ever happened to you? You were 11 years old and you became a follower of Jesus. Okay, I like that answer. Now, you all may not have been 11, but do, do, you, do you think that in that moment when endless happiness is yours, total grace, total forgiveness has been offered to you, you would look back and have some kind of a day, or maybe it's not a day. You got a day when you were 11, Steve, right? So I don't have a day, but some of us might say, well, it was somewhere my freshman year in college, or it was some year when I was, you know, in fifth, right? Do you have that? 
Do you think, would, it, would anybody have a different answer, an answer different in substance than what Steve has said? The day, the time, the season that Jesus became real to you. I, I think, I don't think there's any question that anybody, everybody in that moment when it's all there and it's all real and it's all been given to you as a gift, that we would look back and not say, like, it was then, it was those people, it was that event, it was that time in my life where the gospel became real. That is by far, without any competition, the most significant thing that ever happened to us. And so I want to tonight begin, we're going to actually do this over the, over the span of several weeks. I want you guys to begin thinking, what is that, when was that for you? And for some of you, some of you here, you may be like, well, I don't know, but it's sometime after, you know, September 5th, 2021, because you maybe you're on a process and that hasn't happened yet. And if so, that's so great. We're so glad that you are here with us to kind of have this conversation. But I would love you guys to have a conversation. Well, one to think, to reflect, what what was that day? What was that season? What was going on in my life? How did it come about? To really think, how did it happen that Jesus became real to you? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you just to kind of prime the pump, I'll tell you how it happened for me, and then uh, maybe invite you guys. We're going we're gonna to celebrate communion, give you guys a chance to talk a little bit about that yourself around your story. So for me, I grew up going, I grew up in a Christian home-ish. I mean, certainly culturally Christian, and we grew up going to church, but... I thought it was all really, really boring, and it didn't land, it didn't connect, it was of no meaningful substance for me. I have a very clear memory of being in my living room, um, this is probably like eighth grade, ninth grade, and asking my mom to explain to me, what is the connection? I know that blah, 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 I know that Jesus died, and that if we believe in him, we go to heaven, but like, Why? Like, what's the connection? Like, how does, what's the mechanics of this that makes, like, why is it not like, hey, if you believe the grass is green, you can go to heaven. If you believe the planes can fly, you can go to heaven. What does this have to do with that? And whatever she said to me in answer made no sense to me. It didn't land. It didn't connect. It's like, okay, you know, and sometimes you ask a question. Did you ever do this? You ask your parents a question, they answer you, and you're like, okay, well, whatever. And I walked away. And on we go. When I got to James, Matt, I went to school at JMU. When I got to JMU, I was your basic happy pagan right? Christian-ish, but I was not interested in living with Jesus, walking with Jesus, living in him. I was fine. I mean, I thought I was a Christian because I wasn't Muslim, you know, like what else are you going to be? And, uh, but I didn't know him. I didn't spend any time in his word. I was sleeping with my girlfriend in high school. I was just going to go to college, get a job, get some money, buy a fast car, be happy. That was, and I didn't think anything beyond that. But this guy named Andy Sparks came by my dorm room and Andy was on staff with an organization called Crew. It's a Christian student group. And Andy came by, and he shared this little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, which is a summary of, of the Christian message. And when Andy shared it with me, I just said, yeah. I knew all that. It wasn't a transformative moment. It's like, yeah, that's all. That sounded like vaguely familiar, and I just you know, kind of granted it. Um, and that wasn't a big deal to me. But what was a big deal is that I had questions about this stuff that like my mom hadn't been able to answer. And so Andy came by my room every week for weeks and weeks and weeks. And he would come by and I would just ask him questions and he would do his best to answer those questions. And, and to be honest, I don't remember anything that he said. None of it sticks in my mind. But there was this relationship began to form. And then Andy told me that he was going to start a Bible study. And he wanted to know if I'd be interested to be in it. And I said, uh, yeah, sure, we could do that. And as a strategic play, he had the Bible study in my room. And I got to tell you, my room was not an ideal place to have a Bible study by any means. Because, oh, bro, I had, like, I had girls mud wrestling on this wall. 
I had this life-size poster of some other girl like immediately over my bed, so it looked like she was in my bed. I mean, the whole it was just a lurid freshman dorm, right? And whatever, whatever spiritual value took place in that room was offset by whatever happened to those poor guys in, the, in that room looking at my posters on my walls, right? And it would be a net even at, at best. But they came every week, and so I came because I lived there, and I heard the gospel over and over and over again. And in the midst of it, something happened for me, and there's, it wasn't, I don't know the day, Steve, I don't know what moment it was, but something happened where I began to make this realization that I, if you'd, if you'd asked me what happened on Easter, if there was a pop quiz, what happened on Easter, I could have told you that Jesus rose from the dead. Like, I knew that much, right? Easter, resurrection, got it. But if you'd asked me if it mattered, and if you asked me if I thought it was true, I would have said, yeah, that's what happened. We're Christians. Easter, Jesus rose from the dead. But I didn't think it mattered in the slightest. Like, who cares? And I recognized at some point over my freshman year, I recognized there is this massive contradiction because either Jesus rose from the dead and it is the most important thing that has ever happened in human history, or he didn't raise from the dead, and it just doesn't matter. But this thing that it is true and it doesn't matter became an untenable place for me to hold. And so I had to decide either stop pretending to be a Christian because it's not true and go on your merry way, or if that happened, then everything, I mean everything, everything has to change. So I read this book by Josh McDowell called The Resurrection Factor, and in which he kind of makes the case of, hey, if he didn't rise from the dead, what did happen? And he walks through, maybe it was this. Maybe the disciples stole the body. Maybe he wasn't really dead. He just swooned. Maybe, you know, whatever. All these different alternative theories. And as I went through the alternative theories, I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense, and that doesn't make any sense, and that doesn't make any sense. And he kind of got this very Sherlock Holmes thing. You know Sherlock Holmes' famous quote about, like, once you've eliminated all the things that are um, impossible, whatever's left, no matter how improbable, must be the answer. And I'm like, well, for crying out loud, he rose from the dead. Like, actually, like, actually, this is a real thing. And at that point, the convenient lie that I had lived my whole life of like, he did, but it, so what? It was taken away from me. And that year, everything in my life began to change slowly. There was no like, I didn't wake up the next day with the birds singing. But bit by bit, uh, the posters came down, Right? And that's, I'm, I say that lit both literally and metaphorically because everything else that I had papered my life with began to be slowly changed, almost like unintentionally, right? It just, the things, the, the, Augustine talks about this process that I had never heard of, but he talks about the reordering of our loves. Is that a concept? Have you ever heard him talk about, heard the idea of reordered loves? And the, the idea is that every one of us, like if, you, if I give you a deck of 52 cards, we could shuffle the deck, right? And some of you might put one card at the top of the deck. That's the thing you love the most, and then something else at the bottom of the deck, and that's the thing you love the least. And invariably around the room, we all love worthy things too little. They got shuffled to the bottom of the deck. And we love unworthy things too much. We somehow elevated them. And this process began there towards the end of my freshman year. And then into my sophomore year, there was slow growth. And by my junior year, the hook was set. You know, but really, by my, by my, when I came back to college, beginning of my junior year, Whatever that cocoon time, like this, you know, when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it's not at a moment in time. There's this thing that's going on. And that was kind of my sophomore year. But slowly, these things were all getting reordered. And like the stuff that I didn't care a lick about became really important to me. And the stuff that I had built my life on began to feel paper thin. And it all started to shift, which is not by any means to suggest that by my junior year, like 
everything was great. It wasn't, right? This is a, I mean, I'm 50. It's been a while, and there's still plenty of work to be done. But by beyond question, by my junior year of college, like Jesus had become something he wasn't remotely to me before I went to college, right? It's one of the reasons that I absolutely love college, because college is where my life was transformed. And Jesus began this work. It was a slow work. In my case, some people it's fast. For me, slow. But real, like genuine transformation. If my loves were reordered, and not just my loves, but my, the, the seat of my confidence. I think I would have said when I was younger, like, like that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Like, what else is going to happen, you know? But that's because I'm a reasonably good person, you know? All the stuff that's not true, notwithstanding, like reasonably good. But my junior year, I understood like, all this stuff that you think is going to work. Number one, you're probably not as good as you think you are. And even if you were, that's not good enough. There's no hope. There is no hope. But I didn't, that didn't trouble me any longer because I really began to believe that what Jesus had done on my behalf was real. He was actually in a position like genuinely able to offer me a righteous life because he was righteous and he was genuinely able to take away, take the blame for all of the junk in my life, past, present, and future because he didn't just sprain his ankle for my sin. He died. He like paid the price and all could be put to rights. And that, though it sounds like the end of that particular story is actually the beginning of the story because then from my junior year on forward, his call on my life to begin to really do the deep, deep work of transforming everything. That's when it began. And then I ended up coming on staff with that organization, crew. And my wife and I were on staff with crew for 20 years. And we spent our whole lives, our whole adulthood on college campuses what being Andy Sparks's to people, right? Trying to be the men and the women that would, inter- that would interrupt a college student's life and try to give them an entirely new reason to live. We did that for 20 years, and now we work at Church of the Holy Spirit and lead the fellows and do a bunch of other stuff. But it's ever since that moment that it happened to me, I have been intoxicated with the drug of seeing it happen for somebody else. That somebody's whole purpose for living can be radically up, you know, just thrown out of balance because Jesus is transformatively great. Now, what I want to invite you guys to do tonight, and maybe some of you might be able to hop up here right now and tell your story. I'm not going to ask you to do that, so don't freak out about that. Some of you might be able to do that. Others of you might be like, I don't even know what did happen. I've never processed it. I've never kind of made the list. And I, I, would, I would encourage you guys that this is actually a worth, worthwhile exercise. Um, some of you probably know that Saul becomes Paul, right? His name has changed. But in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, you can read his story as it actually is happening, as Jesus changed his life. But did you know that Acts 9 is not the only place that Paul's conversion story is told? It's three other times that you'll, you can read about it in the New Testament. It's Acts 24, 26, and Galatians kind of one into two. He kind of drags it out a little bit. And, um, and Paul saw his story was like a, was a tool, like it was a useful thing. I'm gonna, he tells a story in multiple contexts. Every time he tells it, he tells it a little bit different. He kind of he emphasizes different things to focus on his, on his audience. But the knowledge of the story, what happened, Max? Like how, or what is happening? Maybe it's not in the past. What is happening? How does this work? That is really worthwhile. And so I want to give you guys just an opportunity this evening as we're, after we kind of break the bread and pour the wine, to give you a chance to share your stories with one another. There won't be enough time for everybody to go. But some of you might be like, I'd, I'd like to take a swing at that and, and tell the story. And I want, we're going to be in this space for the next several weeks. Um, next week, I imagine, we'll have our regular crowd will, will show back up. And we're going to give them an opportunity to that, do that as well. So if you talk, tell your story tonight, maybe you won't do that next week. Um, but we, I think it's, there's value. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why in weeks to come. 
But I think there's a lot of value in rehearsing your story for your own sake, but then also becoming practiced in telling your story. Because in some cases, your story, the exact particulars of how God opened your eyes to see your need and his sufficiency to meet that need might be really an instrument that God uses for other people who need to have that happen as well. Dig it?